0: This is
1: The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. Banging sounds detected
0: in the North Atlantic might be coming from the five-passenger Titan submersible.
1: For days, the story of the missing Titan submersible captured the world's attention. Ocean
0: ...scours the Atlantic Ocean. Time is running out because oxygen
1: is running out. Ending in tragedy. In the end, it wasn't a lack of air, but sadly, too much water. Five passengers on board the Titan submersible have been confirmed dead. On board, the Our Titan sub perished when the tourist vessel suffered a catastrophic
2: implosion.
1: Watching on from his home in Sydney's inner west was Ron Allum, an Australian deep-sea engineer and explorer.
2: Yeah, it's Ron Allum, Yeah, managing director of our own little business called Ron Allum Deep Sea.
1: Ron is maybe best known for co-designing the submersible that director James Cameron used in 2012 to reach the deepest known point of the Earth's
2: seabed. A lot of my background is in adventure. You know, I loved cave diving, being in the ocean, I like working with submersibles. I guess when you're on the leading edge of something, you tend to set your own standards, your own rules, because there's none other. Today, Ron
1: Allen on the joys and risks of exploring the deep sea. It's Tuesday, the 27th of June. So, Ron, how did you first get into deep sea diving?
2: Yeah, I was a broadcast engineer, worked on the Ultimo Project, which is the ABC building in Sydney. After that, I was made redundant and started doing documentary films with my friend Andrew White. It all started because of our cave diving. We wanted to do a particular expedition out to the Nullarbor Plain. Andrew had this wonderful idea that he'd make a a film about it. Yeah, he could get the sponsorship and the money to buy some additional equipment. And that's how it all started. We made a a documentary film. We did that for about 10 years together. Travelled around the world quite a few times. Cave diving, diving in the ocean, diving with sharks, diving with crocodiles. Yeah, it's been a pretty exciting time. And when did you meet film director James Cameron? Andrew was eventually headhunted by James Cameron in the year 2000. Jim was in development of his 3D camera for Avatar. From there, you know, he was wanting to trial this camera and what better place to try a 3D camera than to put it on a Russian Mir submersible and take it to Titanic. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. That was my first expedition with Jim and I was really looking after his lights. Over the
1: next few years, you and James Cameron continued to work together and eventually you both co-designed the submersible named the Deep Sea Challenger, which James Cameron piloted to the lowest spot on earth, the floor of the Mariana Trench. What were the main challenges that you faced in, in designing this?
2: Yeah, so from 2006, I guess, I I was working in my laundry at home and we had a pressure vessel that would simulate the depths. If you can imagine the pressure at the surface, it's one atmosphere, it's equivalent to 10 metres of uh, seawater. Now, when you go down 11 kilometres, which is 11,000 metres, the pressure at the bottom of the ocean is literally 1,100 Atmospheres. So it's probably five, six hundred times the pressure that you put in your car tyre.
1: <laughs> I read that you developed a whole new type of foam for the submersible. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. He had this idea that he didn't want a metal chassis, he wanted to cast it in syntactic foam. And I went and did a little bit of research on available foams and either they crushed under the pressure when I was trying to test them in this little pressure vessel I had downstairs, or they would bend and crack. And I ended up buying um, this mixer in Marrickville, and I sort of made up a couple of concoctions myself and tested the first one, and uh, I thought, hey, we can do this. I had to tell Jim that You know, we can't build a chassis out of commercially available syntactic foam. But I've got this idea that we could probably make it. Anyway, he just turned around and said, you know, is it new? I said, yeah, is it novel? Yeah, patented it.
1: (laughs) Now, I know that James Cameron took the Challenger to its deepest dive, 11 kilometres. You also got to know what it's like diving in the Challenger. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, my dive in deep sea Challenger was... Yeah, just really, really special. You know, the vehicle is on its side, um, which means that you climb in at the hatchway at the top, but then you, when you hop in, you actually lay on your back. And, yeah, it's a bit surreal because the monitor that you're looking at, which controls the sub and has the images of the camera and various other things, you know, it's sort of on the ceiling and the controls are, you know, out to the side and your feet are up in the air. And it's quite a strange feeling. I could just stretch out my leg. Um, Jim wasn't able to. So it was quite a cramped space. It was only, uh, off top of my memory, about, I think it's only about 1,200 millimetres diameter. Um, so just a bit over a metre diameter. So Marana's Trench, it's up near uh, Guam and it's very close to the tropics so uh, the daytime temperatures are quite hot uh, on the ocean. The sun's beating down on the deck so it gets incredibly hot inside the submersible. Boats are generally quite noisy, they've got a big generator and but when you close the hatch, all of a sudden all the sound stops. You're in this pressure sphere that's yeah, oh, it's it was sixty, seventy millimeters thick, yeah, you know, solid steel, and it just cuts out all the noise. And you can feel the crew connecting the the hook to lift it, and yeah, you know, then all of a sudden the straps are, are released, and the sub sort of you know, rocks a bit, and then it's it gets lifted. It gets swung over the side, it gets slowed into the water, then all of a sudden you come upright into this sitting position. Um, I guess astronauts must experience that because yeah they have to be yeah on their back when they're on a on the launch platform, yeah, you know, sort of looking straight up at the sky. Um, so yeah, as soon as um, sub goes into the water, the sub starts to cool down. And um, yeah, at first it's, it is quite comfortable. When you're descending, um, you're just seeing shapes, little microscopic sort of animals that are going by. But within the first, um, I don't know, 100 metres, um, you go from bright light to absolutely zero light. The sunlight does not penetrate any further. Yeah, it's pretty surreal. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can go through um, areas where there's phosphorescence from the um, animals, glowing little, you know, like little tiny um, glowworms. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's a, a light show. I would liken it to yeah, you know, looking at the northern lights. Yeah, you know? it's pretty pretty specky, pretty full on.
1: You must feel emotional seeing that. I feel emotional hearing you describe it. What were you feeling?
2: Oh, look, it's just amazing. And um, it turned out to be a really, really nice dive. You know, when you got to the seafloor, you're looking at your altimeter, um, and you know you're getting close, so you're... You slow the sub down a little bit so you don't do a hard landing, you do a nice soft landing. It's a bit like probably landing on the moon, I don't know. (laughs) When you land, your thrust comes up and it kicks up the uh, the sediment on the seafloor and it just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you you go from seeing really good visibility to this cloud of dust that sort of overtakes you. What did the seafloor look like? Yeah, there's these little, you know, little plant-like, Uh, structures, you know, um, it was quite alive. And this is at 1,100 metres.
1: Next, the rise of commercial deep sea exploration and the Ocean Gate disaster.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Hi, my name is Stockton Rush. I'm the CEO and founder of OceanGate. Let's take a look at Titan. So we're coming into the sub. This is the only toilet available on a deep diving submersible. Best seat in the house. You can look out the viewport.
1: We put a privacy screen in, turn up the music, and uh, it's uh, very popular.
2: We have our uh, control
1: screen here. So over the past few years, Deep sea exploration has become more common with companies like Ocean Gate offering commercial dives to paying customers and the CEO of Ocean Gate, Stockton Rush, died on the Titan last week. What did you think about his approach to deep sea exploration?
2: Yeah, I never got to meet um, Stockton Rush, but I was aware of his sub. It's not the first carbon fibre uh, cylinder to be used either. There's another... Operated before that, but they never got their vehicle to um, full ocean depth. Yeah, so there's a lot of these developments and stories that, that go around. But I think even when we designed Deep Sea Challenger, we at least built the pressure hull to a standard. And look, I was only made aware after the incident or after the disappearance, that uh, some industry partners had sent a letter to Stockton Rush to say that in this day and age you should be looking at, at meeting compliance, you know, particularly if you're going to go uh, commercial with, um, you know, tourist divers. So, yeah, there was uh, pressure on him and he did seem to take a bit of a cavalier approach The
1: BBC has seen email messages showing that warnings over the safety of OceanGate's Titan sub were repeatedly dismissed by the CEO of the company. The messengers were. Right. It's been reported that he didn't have the Titan independently assessed by regulators or risk assessors. And Oceangate has previously explained via a blog post that this type of assessment really slows down development and they were confident that their design would meet or exceed the required safety standards. But there were other red flags that were raised over the years. What did you think of them? Were they significant?
2: Yes, I think so. There are certain rules and regulations, but some of those are quite difficult to meet, and I think what Stockton did was took the approach that it's too hard to meet, but nowadays you can actually go to these people who have drawn up these regulations or guidelines, I don't know what you call them, (laughs) Um, but you can actually negotiate with them and say, look, I've got a new component that I want to try in my design it doesn't fall within the standards. What have I got to do to prove it?
1: It's now believed that the voyage ended in a catastrophic implosion, according to the US Coast Guard. What would that implosion look like and feel like?
2: I guess the energy released during that implosion, and it's something like thirty-two, thirty-three 33 uh, kilograms of TNT, high explosives, so it's just, yeah, mind-blowing that you're in such a small space and the energy is just so immense that, yeah, it would be over in a... before you could blink your eye, you yeah, it would just be... you're there one minute and, you know, the whole thing's gone pear-shaped microsecond later. I don't know that the occupants would have heard anything or felt anything. Maybe there might have been a few seconds of tearing of carbon or something like that if it were a carbon. If it were viewport, you know, looking out, yeah, they'd just be faced with a wall of water. On that viewport, there's over a thousand tonne of force on that viewport. On the hemispheres, you yeah, know, there's about nine, eight and a half, nine thousand tonne force on each of the hemispheres pushing in on the carbon cylinder. Yeah, it's Pretty mind-blowing what that pressure hull has to undertake to withstand all those forces.
1: It is horrific to think about, and we have seen the world really pay attention to this story over the past week. How do you think this moment is going to change deep-sea exploration?
2: Look, uh, I would say that you may not get paying customers going into a submersible that's not classed. Yeah, people have been diving in submersibles now for quite some time. There are some organisations out there that do have some pretty good guidelines for compliance and, yeah, I think it's probably pretty mandatory.
1: So, Ron, there has been some critique of the idea of, you know, billionaire explorers going into the deep sea. Do you think that billionaire explorers are a good thing or a bad thing?
2: Oh, look, I don't have too much of a problem with billionaire explorers. They're going to spend their money (laughs) and it may as well, yeah, be invested in, you know, deep sea. So if people are, they're paying for diving and, you know, it's going into the deep sea, then it's benefiting the, the deep sea community.
1: Why is it important to you that deep-sea diving continues after this moment?
2: There is an argument to learn more about our oceans. In particular, you know, we're going to get more and more exploited with deep-sea mining. There's a lot of um, subsea oil and gas. But are they doing things properly? Are they leaving the place at tip site? because nobody can see what they've left behind. Yeah, you know, just those sorts of things. You know, we're, we're having to trust these big oil companies and sometimes people are only interested in the profits and not necessarily the uh, environment at the end of the day. Most of the planet's oceans, you know, you can't see it. It's not seen by people. So the more people that are made aware of it to get to see it, I think may... Yeah, just help protect it.
1: That was Ron Allam, Managing Director of Ron Allum Deep Sea. To read the latest on the Ocean Gate disaster, head to theguardian.com. This episode was produced by me and Karishmaluth Ria. Sound design and mixing by James Milsom. The executive producer was Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening.